Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Amen. So good to be uh, here again together. Uh, We're continuing in our a series in the Psalms was not so much a series as just going through uh, Psalm by Psalm. Um, we're in Psalm 73 today, so you can turn your Bibles there. Um, I titled the message for today, We Overcome Envy in God's Presence. We Overcome Envy in God's Presence. Uh, envy is uh, simply defined as, as wanting, having a strong desire for something that you see that someone else has and want. And envy is, is one of those things that can lead us to treat people in very um, wicked ways. It can lead us to harming others. Um, it can lead us to even um, speaking against God. And in fact, it is actually disrespect to God because it is us saying that what God has given us is is not enough. But as much as we can understand what envy is, sometimes it is hard to avoid envy, especially when the thing that we desire, the thing that's leading us to envy, are things like uh, a desire for justice, a desire to, um, to see fairness in our world, a desire to make life a little bit easier, to suffer a little bit less. These are all reasons that make envy a very powerful temptation in our world. And so in this Psalm, uh, we're gonna see Asaph. Asaph tells us a story about how he found himself envious of the world and what he did to overcome. So the thing I want us, I hope that we would get from this today is that we can overcome envy of the world when we enter into God's presence. Let's jump right in. Verse one to three says this. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph begins by declaring God's goodness. God is good to Israel. He is good to the pure in heart. But he quickly moves to a confession. He confesses that there was a time where he doubted God's goodness and even almost denied God's goodness. And he tells us that the reason this happened is because he saw the prosperity of the wicked and he envied them. And he goes on to to, to give us a picture of what he saw. Verse four, he says, they have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, 
Pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouth against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Asaph gives us a picture of a people that he sees who really what he wants us to to see is that the life of ease that they enjoy, they don't deserve. And we get that. We get that in our day when there's so much people who seem to benefit off of the suffering and the misery of others. So much imbalance, inequality, where people seem to, who, who, who seem to, to benefit, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And, and he looks at a few specific things that he sees in their behavior. He says, they're overindulgent. He speaks of them being, um, having well-fed bodies. Another translation actually says they're fat. They, they, they've, they've got more than enough that they can fill themselves abundantly. He says a little bit later that their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imagination of their hearts run wild. They're overindulgent. They're not just having what they need, but they're, getting, they're taking more. And, and, he, and he goes on to explain that, that in their overindulgence, they actually cause harm to others. They, they threaten violence. They, 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 he, says, he says that they wear violence, violence covers them like a garment. And then he, he, expre- he explains that they're actually also prideful. They're, they're arrogant. He says, the, the way, he talks about this, the way they use their tongue, the way they speak. They speak um, maliciously, they mock. And it's not just the way that they speak to other people. This, this behavior is actually towards God himself. It's a picture of what happens when people actually start to live like there is no God, like there's no one to call them to account. I'm free to do whatever wicked thing I can imagine to get ahead, to indulge my deepest fantasies. Asaph wants us to see these people don't deserve ease because he believes there is a God. He goes on in verse 10 to 12 to show us that some people are actually even being influenced by them. Verse 10 says, therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the most high know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease. They increase their wealth. He's saying there's people watching and listening to And hearing the words, he says it beautifully. They're drinking in their overflowing words. They're they're filling their minds with the things that these people are saying. And they're being deceived. Deceived into thinking this way of life that they have must be good. There must be something good in what they're doing because they have peace. They have wealth in abundance. And, and it's, this is a good reminder for us when we hear this, that, that we need to guard our hearts and minds. We need to be careful of the things that we are seeing, the things we're watching, and the things we're listening to. Amen? This is where we find ourselves 
um, sometimes being influenced and not knowing even why we're struggling with doubt, why we're struggling with confusion, issues in our faith. This is where it often comes from is what we're taking in. And, and, and so Asaph wants us to see that there are people in this time who are being influenced by the wicked. And, and this is actually especially a great temptation when, when you're suffering. When you're suffering and you see other people who, who aren't living the, the way God calls prospering, the temptation to, to want to live the way they live or to want to affirm or even consider the way they live is, is actually greater. And this is what's happening to Asaph. Look at verse 13 to 14 says, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. Asaph compares his life to theirs. He's saying they, have, they live wickedly and they've got ease. I do what is righteous. I keep my hands pure and, and I suffer. He's got this picture of, of someone who's, who's grinding all day. They go to bed and they wake up and they got aches that they didn't have yesterday. This is what he's talking about. It's a hard life that he's leading. That he's, but he's, he's suffering even though he's living righteous. And, 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 and Asaph's comparing himself ends up leading him to envy the wicked. And that envy turns into him doubting. The question he asks, is this life worth it? Is living for God worth it? This is the first thing I want us to see is envying people outside the faith can lead us to doubt godly living. Envying people outside the faith can leave us, lead us to doubt godly living. He shows us how dangerous envy can be. It doesn't just stay as something that, 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 that you consider in your heart. It actually starts to turn your heart against godly living, against what God says is good. As I read this, I'm reminded of um, a time in my own life when I was working in business. And I remember um, I worked for a company that uh, publicly they, they, they made a, a, a very good effort to express that they are committed to ethical business practices. But the longer I worked with them, the more I saw that many of the coworkers I had actually benefited from unethical business practices. It was actually a common thing for unethical business practices to be used to make their, their work easier and to make their numbers look better. And this was tempting to me in particular because I, I, I felt often the Holy Spirit was convicting me to not give in and to not practice the, the way they did. And, and it was hard when I saw that they were, they were getting promotions, they were getting praise because of the things that they were achieving through these unethical practices. And I was working hard. I was grinding. And my numbers didn't look anywhere as, as good as theirs. And, and to be honest, I would probably never look as good as they, they would, apart from God performing a miracle. And so this was hard. It was hard to... To, to not be tempted to envy them. But one of the things I want to stress is God commands us 
not to envy. And although it's challenging, because sometimes we can't keep ourselves from seeing certain things, we can overcome envy. And so I wanna, I wanna show us three things we can do to avoid envy. First, don't compare yourself to others. Comparison does a very ugly thing in us. It makes us forget all that God has done and is doing in our lives. We ought to keep our eyes on Jesus and remember that, that, that he's actually accomplished things for us that make us better than we look to ourselves. Amen? To express gratitude for what you have. This comes as a close second because gratitude is often the thing that guards us from, from, from becoming prideful and becoming envious. Those are close together, pride and envy. Gratitude for what God has given you. And then remember, remind yourself really. This is going close to what uh, Pastor uh, Marv was preaching last week, that, that speaking to ourselves is very important. Remind yourself what God promises. Shayon actually mentioned a few of the things that God has done. And even as we took communion today, we remember some of the things that God has done for us through Christ Jesus. Hold on to those things and let that be encouragement for you. So although uh, we do see that Asaph, he actually told us he, he envied. He envied. We can actually still learn uh, some, some th- ways to deal with our doubt from him. And, and there's two in particular. The first way that Asaph deals with his doubt is he doesn't share his doubt publicly. Look back at verse 15. He says, if I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. This is a simple statement that actually portrays a very wise practice for Asaph. It is that he is, he is choosing to watch his words, to be careful with his words, to not deceive others in his moment of doubt. This act of protecting God's people is something that we should all desire to do. It is possible that in our moment of doubt, we can still protect others from falling to our doubt. And and so there's there's a few ways that we can do this. I want us to to think of um, one in particular. We can ask ourselves questions before we share anything public, here are some of the questions we can ask. Who could hear what I'm about to say, right? This is very important in a day where we share a lot of things on the World Wide Web, where we have a habit of putting everything on social media. Who's gonna hear this, right? Two, are people who will hear this mature enough to process this wisely? If you're caring for your brothers and sisters, if you're caring for those who, might, who, who you might have influence over, and it's important to realize we may not all be in an official position of leadership, but we have influence, right? And so who could hear it and how could this affect them? How, and this, how, can I, how can saying this help or harm others, especially in their faith? We're looking out for our brothers and sisters. Let's go on to four and five. How can sharing this help me deal with my doubt in a way that brings glory to God? We should always have our eyes on how we can bring glory to God, no matter what we're going through. How can I share 
my doubt with, um, doubt with, sorry, that's, that's kind of a weird sentence. So how can I share my doubt with someone who can help me to overcome it? Or rather, who can I share my doubt with uh, to help me overcome it? And this is actually a very important one. It's, it's, this, this whole thing is not about us keeping our doubt to ourselves and burying it down inside, but it's being wise about who we share it with. There are some people who just aren't mature enough to handle, so we think about that. And Asaph's actually gonna go on in, his second, in the second way he deals with his doubt to help us to understand, um, to see someone that we can go to. Verse, so the second thing, sorry, that Asaph does to deal with his doubt is that he uh, seeks God for understanding. Asaph seeks God for understanding. Look at verses 16 to 17. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Asaph goes to God. This picture of him entering God's sanctuary is is very important. God's sanctuary represents uh, a place where we Um, where God's people would go to be in God's presence. And at the time, this wasn't something that everyone had access to. But in our day, through what Christ has done, we all have access. Look at what Hebrews 10, 19 says. Brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus Christ, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. He, the the writer of Hebrews actually walks us a few things. He says, because we have access through Christ to enter in, we should be drawing near, drawing near to God's presence, holding on to our faith and considering one another And this includes us not neglecting to gather together. He he ties really closely this access that that we have to enter in to us gathering. And, And when we gather, we actually see God's presence manifest among us to encourage one another. We do this in greeting each other with a smile or smiles, right? Smiling with your eyes. We, we, we do this with, <laughs> we do this with singing. We, we spoke last week about the reality that sometimes we're singing to each other, but then sometimes we're singing for each other, right? We do this in sharing in God's word together. This, that's times like this and times when we're having Bible study or small group, right? And we do this in serving each other with the gifts of the Spirit that are given to each of us. As we continually uh, enter into God's presence in the gathering, 
we are, we are, we are encouraged to continue to do this until the day that Jesus returns. And when he comes, he will gather us to himself in his presence, in the presence of God forevermore. No more struggling with, with seeing evil prosper. No more um, dealing with envy and other sins. We will be able to enjoy the presence of God forever. But until that day, we continue to enter into God's presence. Entering God's presence can help us remember God's goodness. This is the second thing Asaph really helps us see here. And there's two ways that Asaph sees God's goodness. And and so the first way is that he understands the destiny of those outside the faith. Look at verses 18 to 20. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. Asaph gives this picture of God executing justice. That's what he's really wanting. He's seen the way that the wicked have behaved and he wants justice and and he sees when he enters into God's presence that there is a God, a, a good and just God who will call them to account. And, and in seeing this, he realizes that God's, that God's um, his punishment of evil is actually, um, it actually flows from his goodness. God punishing evil is, is a part of what makes God good. And, and in seeing this, he points out a few things that will happen to them. He says, essentially, their life is, 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 is empty. Their life actually is empty. He, that's why he uses the word a desolation. It's got no value. If, they, if you spend your life living for yourself, you will find in the end that you've got nothing worth value when you stand before God. That's what he realizes. He, he also realizes that that they, they actually come to a terrifying end. They've enjoyed a lot of uh, the, 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 the fun and the, the accoutrements of this world, and then they find themselves in the end with standing before a God whose, whose wrath will be poured out on them. That's what they, they come to. And then he points out that in the end, they ultimately are rejected by God. Throughout their entire life, they reject God. But in the end, God rejects them. And this really should, is a terrifying picture. And for those outside the faith, this should be terrifying to you as well. But as we see the, the justice of God, we, we consider, and you should consider that God in this moment is extending his mercy to you by allowing you to hear before that day when you stand before him of what is to come, of the path that you are on. And so I I want you to see that 
that God has actually made a way through Jesus Christ, just as, he, just as we saw in Hebrews, for, for you to come before God's presence in repentance for all your sins, to, to actually believe that Jesus Christ has paid the full penalty of your sins and put your trust in him for full payment of your sins and to commit to following Jesus all your life. This is the mercy of God extended to you today. And for those within the faith, this ought to motivate us. It ought 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 to provoke compassion for those outside the faith in us. That we would be moved to evangelize with more urgency. There are people in our lives all around us who are are on a path to destruction. And we should be moved to to share the gospel with them and, and, and also to continually pray that God would have mercy on them like he has us. Amen? Amen. And so Asaph, he, he sees God's goodness in providing justice. And another way that he sees God's goodness is... Asaph sees God's goodness and God's mercy towards him. And so let's look at verses 21 to 24. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinkable animal towards you. Yet, I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me up in glory. This is a a beautiful picture of God's mercy. Asaph starts by confessing. This is is where he's moving towards as he sees God's goodness. He he confesses that God, that, that he was actually an unthinkable animal to God in his time of weakness. And this is really important for us to, to, to understand is that that when we realize how good God is, we ought to repent in that very moment from all the things that, that have, the ungodly, the wicked things, the false things that we've believed about God, that we thought about God. Asaph confesses and then he, 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 he realizes in his moment that, that God has actually been the, been, been the one keeping him all this time that he actually only makes it into the sanctuary of God because God is the one guiding him by his counsel. How many of us realize that we actually only make it to our knees, we actually only make it into repentance because God is doing a work of continually leading and guiding us and preserving us? That's the reason that we make it through every day, every moment. That's the reason we overcome sin. And furthermore, he, he acknowledges that God actually gives him assurance that he will make it to glory. It reminds me of what Paul says in, in um, Philippians that, that um, he, he's confident that God who's begun a good work in them will complete it. This is the confidence that we can have when we put our trust in Jesus, that he won't fail. Like Shea reminded us today that the one thing that God cannot do is fail. Amen? So God, so 
So Asaph sees God's mercy towards him, that God never abandons him, that God gives him assurance. And verses 25 to 28, he responds. Look at his response. He says, who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. Asaph responds with praise and proclamation of God's goodness. He starts there. Remember, he said, God is good. And so he actually shows us how he goes on a journey of doubting God, of envying those, back to acknowledging God's goodness. This is the journey, if, is it not, of, of each and every one of us. And sometimes it feels like this is our journey through the week. We come here and we're encouraged and we leave and we face so much uh, temptation to envy. But as we continue to enter into God's presence, we're encouraged again and again to, to see God's goodness again. Asaph responds with praise, praising God. He acknowledges a few things that he says God is to him, that God is, God is the one who, who he, he finds the, the greatest treasure and joy in. God is his ultimate treasure. His portion forever reminds us of, of Psalm 16, this picture of, of God being the portion for the Levites. And, and, and this is what we as, as God's children all have to look forward to, is a day when, when, when God will be our portion in a, in a, in a very uh, real and tangible sense. And even now, through what Christ has done, God is our portion. So we look at the things that other people have but, but if they don't have Christ, they've got nothing, right? And, and so he, he acknowledges God as his, his greatest treasure. He also says God is the one that he can take refuge in. And this refuge is, 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 is that he can run to God at any time. This is the beauty of having access to God's presence. No matter where you are or what you're dealing with, you can go to God and you can seek him and you can, you can ask him and you can share with him all that's going on in your heart. Everything that, that is troubling you throughout the day, you've got access to go to God. He says, God is his refuge. He can continually tell God all his sorrows. This is a, a, a beautiful gift that we have now that keeps us. And, and, and so we, we can ask ourselves the question, how can we continue to praise and proclaim? And this passage makes it, very clear. How can we continue to make that our response? Is that we continue to go to God. Even days like today when we, when we come here and, and, and we, we, we suffer through the cold and we got to wake up extra early to get here and we got to circle the block a couple times to try and find parking, right? Even in all that we're doing, we, we, we remember, we remind ourselves that when we enter into God's presence, we will see his goodness. And that's not just when we gather on Sunday. That is, that is throughout the week 
when we get opportunities to come to, to, to the Bible study, to prayer meetings, when we get to attend small groups, even, even sometimes we, we may be on our own in isolation, but we can go to God in his word. We can go to God in prayer. We can meditate on the promises of God and we can enter in. This passage today encourages us to continue whatever it costs you to enter in. The closer you are to God throughout this life, the better it will be for you, the easier it will be for you. And this is, this is what Asaph is reminding us that when we, we can actually overcome envy of the world when we enter into God's presence and as we enter into God's presence, we will remember God's goodness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you for stories like Asaph's in scripture that, um, that you use to teach us how we can continue to live this life trusting you, trusting that you are more than enough, trusting that you, um, that you will you will keep us to the end, that you will accomplish seeing us through. And Lord, sometimes in this world, it is really hard, really hard to keep our eyes on you. It's really hard to remember your promises. And so we thank you, God, that you have given us access to you, that at any time throughout our day, throughout our life, wherever we are, we can enter in. Through, through times of isolation and spending time in your word or solitude, spending time in your word, spending time in prayer, spending time meditating, but, but also in the gathering of your people, coming together and encouraging one another. And so Lord, I pray that we would be moved continually to, to enter in. That would be something that is that marks us as your people, that we continue to draw close to you, Lord. Thank you now, Lord, again for your word, and thank you for all that you will do with it in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.